Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Great Lakes Weather Podcast. I am Ben Richmond. It's been a while. It's been close to a month since we've done this podcast, so it's good to be back with you all once again. Today, we're going to address the reason why that severe weather outbreak in Ohio didn't really pan out to what it was expected to be, as well as the potential for some new winter storms and a pattern change that's going to bring cooler weather for the end of January and early February. So first of all, yesterday, Thursday, we had the potential of seeing some significant damaging wind gusts up to 80 miles per hour and a few isolated tornadoes in Ohio. Ohio. Now, I had a couple chasing buddies go down there because the event really did look promising in regards to what the models were saying. There was some very convincing evidence of some significant weather occurring down there, but there was a situation in which the it caused the air that was going to be producing those storms to kind of dry out. So what exactly happened? Well, one big thing that was in Ohio that was not in places such as northern Ohio was sunshine and clear skies. Okay, So they had clearing skies and there wasn't much cloud cover over the area of southern central Ohio. And while that is a good thing and instability is necessary for thunderstorm development, what that caused is that enabled the air that was aloft to sink down and mix with the moist air that was at the surface. You had dew points in the mid to upper 40s, and that is something that was a need for these storms to really take off and produce intense weather. Now, what happened was that air that was aloft, the cooler air, sunk into clear areas where there was no cloud cover and that caused dew points to drop from 40 like the 40s to the low 30s okay that's pretty much drying out the air at that point when you dry out the air you do not have the moisture that is necessary in order to produce thunderstorms now you did have rain showers and you did have a few isolated thunderstorms in that area but they most certainly did not amount to that intense weather event that we were expecting and in fact the more intense storms would seem to actually be displaced a little bit farther to the north where the cloud cover was in northwest Ohio. I think they had a couple severe thunderstorm warnings up there and a few cells that popped up while where farther south you did have strong winds but you really didn't have the energy necessary to create a convective line that could produce more intense thunderstorms and maybe a few tornadoes. So really not the event that it panned out to be. Um, the SBC did put an enhanced risk out for it and rightly so because the pattern did appear on the models to look promising for intense weather, but it did not pan out the way it was supposed to due to the drying of that air that occurred from the clearing skies. So that is the big reason why the event in Ohio didn't really pan out to what it was supposed to be. Now let's talk about what we are expecting coming in the future. So next week, I am seeing a couple low pressure systems that could possibly move through the area. We're going to be looking at the GFS and the Euro models, the two major models for forecasting these types of events, and get a comparison of what the exact track of these systems could be. So what we're seeing on the latest models, if we look a little bit farther, is we do see an initial low pressure system likely moving through the area on Sunday. Okay, so Sunday, it looks like there could be snow anywhere across Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, except extreme southern portions of those two southern states. I do think there could be at least an inch or two. Some places may see three or four inches. It does depend on how the models change up to that point, but it does look like there's going to be a little bit of snow, followed by maybe a brief shot of lake effect also on the back side. The temperature is going to stay relatively the same as it is right now in the mid 30s through about Tuesday. It's what looks like we're going to have a high pressure system settling over the area over the next couple of days after this low moves through on Sunday, and that's going to keep things cool. 
What I'm really paying attention to is Wednesday. Wednesday does seem to be a concerning setup for a potentially major winter storm that could bring quite a bit of snow across parts of the Great Lakes region. Now, once again, we're not fully certain about the track of this, the timing and the location, but I am seeing currently on the models, I do see a Texas low start to lift off towards the Great Lakes region come Wednesday. Now, I do believe it's going to be drawing on quite a bit of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico, and that Gulf moisture is going to be dumped across the Great Lakes region. Now, the track of this low is currently positioned to be in south, southern Indiana and southern Ohio, so that means northern places such as northern Indiana, northern Ohio, and southern lower Michigan are likely going to see the brunt of the snow. Again, that track is likely to change as we get closer to the event, but most models do project that the places they're going to get, the places they're going to get snow are northern Ohio, northern Indiana, and southern lower Michigan at this current moment. It looks like places farther south could mainly see rain, except at the tail end of the storm when that cool air wraps around and allows some snow to fall on the backside. So that could be a quick freezing event for parts of southern Indiana, southern Ohio. But it does show a bit of a heavy pocket of snow lasting for maybe even a day across parts of southern lower Michigan. So it looks like you could see some heavy snow in regards to that. And then it's going to finally lift off to the northeast around Thursday. So it does appear that that low is going to have some direct impacts, direct travel impacts across parts of Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio. And we'll just have to see how things pan out. And it looks even worse in regards to the fact that it may initially start in southern Ohio and southern Indiana as a snowstorm, then transition to rain, and then back to snow. So you're going to have a pretty messy, sloppy situation if you are in that area that according to what the current models are saying as of this recording. So that's what the GFS is pointing out. I'm not going to do snow totals about just yet, but I do think the main snow totals from this event will be in northern Indiana, northern Ohio, and southern lower Michigan if we do get an intense amount of snow. Temperatures behind this will likely drop with a with a stronger Arctic high pressure system. Not a hard Arctic high pressure system, but a cooler high pressure system settling over the continent of the United States and it does look like that pattern is going to stay in place for a while. Temperatures in the mid 20s likely in some at some points and then um, maybe rising back up um, later on but it does appear that temperatures will stay in the 20s and 30s following the passage of this winter storm and then also eyeing Maybe an Alberta clipper that could be cutting through the area on Friday after this snowstorm moves through. So Friday, January 27th, another Alberta clipper moving in and then followed by some lake effect snow. And then going into the long range, again, these long range projections, you got to really be careful use, making a determination about them. But I do see a few additional low pressure systems showing up, mid-latitude cyclone setups showing up on the model. So that's just something to stay tuned for because we will be providing updates on that at the next available opportunity but right now the big focus is that winter storm that could be coming on Wednesday so that's the one thing you're gonna to want to watch comparing it to the euro model it does look a little bit similar there are some similarities with the setup here so if you go to the setup once again it does show that the low is gonna be displaced farther south and that that displacement farther south can mean big changes for forecasts for snow for central Indiana and central Ohio but I still do think that the main brunt of the snowfall 
will occur in northern Indiana, northern Ohio, and southern lower Michigan as that low continues to lift off the northeast. The euro and the GFS are pretty consistent with each other, as well as the GDPS model. The GDPS does show a little bit far, far farther southward track, though. So it's going to be something to watch as we get closer to the event, but it does appear that a winter storm is coming. Okay, so we just went from severe weather threat in Ohio yesterday, and now we are going back to on the winter train. So here is what the forecast is, a summary for the next several days. Okay, so um, tonight, snow showers are likely going to end, um, and the low is going to drop to 28 degrees. Saturday, cloudy, high of 33, low of 29. Sunday, um, maybe some... Maybe some snow in the morning. Uh, snow accumulation is still uncertain. It's likely not going to be a lot, but there could be some. High of 34, low of 27. Monday, we'll actually start to see the sun again. Uh, we haven't had many shots at the sun, so it's good to emphasize that. Partly cloudy on Monday. High of 35, low of 28. Tuesday, um, it is going to be cloudy. High of 34, low of 28. Wednesday is going to be our active weather day for the next week. It looks like we're going to see quite a bit of snow. Um, snow is likely high of 31, low of 22, so temperature is going to drop from there. Thursday, cloudy, high of 30, low of 20. Friday, snow, high of 26, low of 21. Maybe a little bit of snow associated with that clipper. Saturday, um, cloudy once again, high of 25, low of 20. And then Sunday, January 29th, looks like some possible snow showers could occur. High of 25 and a low of 18. Now I'm going to turn it over to the others where they're going to talk about a few of the different concepts related to some of the past weather events, and maybe some events in the Great Lakes region. Today, there is expected to be severe weather in Ohio, ranging from thunderstorms all the way up to tornadoes. To stay kind of on brand with the theme of tornadoes, today I'm going to talk about fire tornadoes and fire whirls. Fire tornadoes, sometimes referred to as fire devils, are incredibly rare. Most often, what we call fire tornadoes are actually fire whirls. Very rarely are firestorms actually fire tornadoes, but these are just larger, more severe fire whirls. Fire whirls are also very rare. They are described as a spinning vortex in which fire is contained. Fire whirls can be as small as one foot in diameter or as large as 500 feet in diameter. Most commonly, fire whirls are formed from wildfires, Sometimes in wildfires, there is both warm updraft and convergence. These two things are what form the wildfire. These whirls can reach up to 120 miles per hour. They can also cause severe damage, such as ripping trees from the ground. One of the more prominent concerns with fire whirls is their potential to start another fire. This typically happens when burning embers or pieces of trees are thrown while still carrying heat. It is such a large concern because the area in which a fire whirl is is typically very dry and therefore more susceptible to fire outbreak. You may see these near fire or sorry, you may see these near a volcanic eruption as well. There have been more recordings of this event in recent years. Typically, we see warnings for these events um, in both California and Arizona. We caught a video of a fire whirl in California in 2021. This is an incredibly unique event and is very cool to watch. Weather concepts, part something. Uh, it's components of the climate, so it's gonna go over a wide range of weather, but just kind of how it all works together. 
Each climate system is like a body. It relies on many interrelated pieces working together to function like the atmosphere, cryosphere, the biosphere, where we are, the hydrosphere, and the lithosphere, which is the Earth itself. The cryosphere cools Earth by reflecting incoming sunlight, affecting how much heat is absorbed by the surface. The atmosphere, which is the air, insulates Earth by trapping heat and supporting heat uh, and water vapor. The lithosphere, also known as just the solid Earth itself, absorbs solar energy, radiates heat, and stores carbon continent, uh, continents and landforms help direct ocean and wind currents too. The biosphere, which is what we are a part of, organisms take up the carbon and exchange it in the atmosphere. And then the hydrosphere, which is the water on the earth, is the ocean absorbs heat and carbon, transports them around the planet, and naturally controls atmospheric CO2. And then, how does the atmosphere help us as humans? The atmosphere moderates Earth's temperature through heat-trapping greenhouse gases, mainly carbon dioxide. The ocean is also crucial to climate. It is a, a, the control for absorbing and releasing carbon to heat in response to changes in the atmosphere. And then there's the changing the carbon cycle, which does it need to happen? Who knows? The carbon cycle regulates CO2's levels in Earth's atmosphere for, for effectively the whole time the Earth has been around. But human action could be changing this, which is by burning fossil fuels, releasing carbon that has been stored underground for years, instantly adding it to the atmosphere. It, will, it could take a while for it to go back to its natural cycle, but that is something we'll have to learn. And whether the carbon imbalance, which is effectively just us putting more carbon in the air and see how that reacts to it. That is weather concepts, uh, the atmosphere, and the carbon cycle. Welcome back to the Great Lakes Weather Podcast. My name is Ethan Rizigat, and today I'm going to be going over a few places to visit in the Great Lakes area region. Uh, I'm just going to be going over some places in Chicago today because there are lots of places there. Um, the first would be the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, at the front of this uh, art house can, has a, a pair of uh, iconic bronze lions, and it also houses a permanent collection of more than 300,000 artworks. Uh, the uh, institute is filled with masterpieces from several different, like, uh, well, lots of different artists and uh, famous painters from around the world and sculptures, stuff like that. Uh, there is one of the better exhibits there is called The Language of Beauty in Africa, in African Art. And uh, you'll see more than 250 different sculptures from dozens of, like, different cultures across Africa. Uh, in the lower level of the Art Institute, this is what really intrigues me about it. Uh, there is a thorn, it's called the Thorn Miniature Room, and it contains 68 recreations of American, European, and Asian architecture and furniture. Uh, it's represented at a very small scale. Uh, it's basically, how I would put it, is like a very detailed, very realistic, like dollhouse. It's very, very interesting. Uh, the next place I'll be going over is the Field Museum. The Field Museum is a massive natural history museum that was founded to house the biological and anthropo anthropological uh, collections from the World's Columbian Exposition uh, that was in 1893. Uh, this, it, it is a huge museum. It's 350,000 square feet of uh, different ex um, exhibits to explore. Uh, there's lots of, like, it's hard to decide where to start. <laughs> um, 
the probably the most popular one there, the exhibit would be the Inside Ancient Egypt. Uh, this one you'll find um, a recreation of the 5,000-year-old tomb of Pharaoh's son, Unis Ankh. Uh, from there, you'll walk through an extensive assemblance of Egyptian artifacts, including one of the largest collections of mummies in the U.S. Uh, there's another, there's a really interesting show there. It's called, uh, Death, uh, Life's Greatest Mystery. And it talks all about, like, uh, dying and, like, just a very, uh, interesting way of, uh, viewing it. And she goes through a variety of natural and cultural processes. Uh, the third place I'm going to be going over is the 360 Chicago. This one would be my favorite. I've, I don't remember. It might have been the John Hancock, but I don't. I didn't go on the uh, 360 thing. But um, anyways, this is at the top of the John Hancock Center, and uh, it offers views of the city from. And you can you can also see like the surrounding states, like besides just Illinois, and uh, you'll be a thousand and thirty feet above the streets, and uh, the sights are just phenomenal. You really you really can't beat it. It's pretty insane. And, uh, there's a bar there and stuff. You can get some nice drinks and everything like that, you know. Um, and then there's also a few exhibits of, like, just talking about, like, Chicago's history and all that. Uh, <clears throat> probably the most terrifying attraction at this, at the top of this place, uh, would be the tilt, is what it's called. Uh, so what you do is you go on this, like, glass platform, and it slowly, like, tilts over the side of the building at a 30 degree angle. And, uh, it is like probably the scariest thing you'll ever see, but for thrill seekers, it is very, uh, very interesting and very fun. Um, the final place we'll be going over today is the Calumet Fisheries. Uh, this is just a, uh, it's a smoke shack that was born when the steel industry was thriving and the area was populated by hungry day laborers who just, um, needed a bite to eat. And, uh, it's, it's located near, it's, uh, it's a pretty famous bridge. Uh, it was filmed in the uh, movie The Blues Brothers, which is it's an older movie, but a comedy. It's very funny. I like it. Um, and then uh, you can get like lots of different things here. Some of the more uh, like the staples would be smoked shrimp, trout, sable, and many more options. Uh, it's not really like a sit down place or anything. So you basically just go in, get your fish, leave, eat in the eat in your car probably, <laughs> or just take it home. You know. Um, but is probably one of the it is the most like high quality fish you'll find in chicago and uh it also like as with like most smoked things like uh like different meats and stuff you want to get some like crackers and maybe some coleslaw to go with your smoked fish it's a uh, very very nice fishery and uh that'll be it for my podcast today guys and i'll see you next podcast Back there. How's everybody doing? Um, we're talking about the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes Musical Festival. It's uh, hosted by, um, I believe, Maranatha uh, Baptist College. They're up in Watertown, uh, Wisconsin, United States. Um, uh, what drew me to this thing was about how um, uh, it is somewhere you know in the Great Lakes region, but um. Uh, it's, uh, it includes people from grades from 8th to 12th that will be singing, uh, you know, from, uh, vocally, instrumentally, and, uh, you know, both, and piano, all that good stuff. But um, uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great
great thing. I don't believe there's any cost in this. I believe this is all free to the, the public. But um, this is going to be a great opportunity to support those people who may, who are very um, into music and stuff like that. And it's also a Christian uh, event. So if you can go out there and support that, that would be awesome. And also, um, uh, and this is also, you know, if you're interested in college, I believe, uh, this is a great university too, and um, this 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 festival, I guess, is gonna be a whole weekend of just music and stuff like that. And if you're really into like the band, string, orchestra, piano, mince chorus, ladies chorus, tone time stuff, that's what that's called. Um, it, this is gonna be a great event. Uh, I will, I know a lot of people going to it, but again, if you're in that region, I highly suggest it. I mean, I've had them. I've had I've had some really good musicians there uh, at our church, but um, this is a great um, university college to go see some good music, and I highly support it and encourage y'all to go out and see it. And thank you for listening again. Hello, everyone, and thanks again for listening to the Great Lakes Weather Podcast. Be sure to stay updated by checking out our YouTube channel and all of our social platforms. We are available on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we are also now available on Rumble. You can also visit our website that is attached to the podcast description to get more updates about the weather. Hopefully you found this information helpful. If you would like to leave feedback on the podcast, you are welcome to do so by also visiting our website and checking out the podcast tab. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you all next time. Thank you.